0: Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the 175th edition of the Digital Edge, Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, President of Sensei Enterprises, an information technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensics firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
2: And I'm Jim Calloway, Director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is Law firms Stunned by Cyber Insurance Premiums, Security Requirements, and Exclusions. Our guest today is known to usual listeners of the podcast. He's John W. Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, which provides managed IT, managed cybersecurity, and digital forensic services nationwide. He is certified as CISSP, a certified ethical hacker, and a nationally known testifying expert in the area of digital forensics. He and Sharon have co-authored 18 books published by the American Bar Association, as well as hundreds of articles. Thanks for joining us today, Jod.
3: It's great to be here, Jim.
1: Well, John, let's open up with a big story that recently made a lot of headlines, and that story involved Lloyd's of London, which issued a notice on August 16th to its member insurers or syndicates requiring that they exclude coverage for state-backed cyber attacks. They said they wanted to protect insurance companies and their underwriters from catastrophic loss, but this is really a huge exclusion. Many law firms are concerned, and so my first question is, do you think cyber insurance is worth the huge premiums with this exclusion?
3: The uh, short answer, I, I think, is yes. The premiums are, in fact, going up. But but you're right. I mean, it was a huge, huge thing that Lloyds jumped out there with. And basically, they're, they're telling their, their underwriters, the folks that, that are dealing with Lloyds, that you have to put these exclusions into your policies, and they've got to take effect by the end of March of next year or the next time the policy renews. Then I'll cover what those those exclusions are, at least specifically As as Lloyd's published them. It said that you have to exclude losses arising from a war, whether that war is declared or not, and where the policy does not have a separate war exclusion in it already – You have to exclude losses arising from state-backed cyber attacks that either significantly impair the ability of a state to function or that significantly impair the security capabilities of a state. Third, it has to be clear whether the coverage excludes computer systems that are located outside any state, which is affected in the manner that was outlined in in the, the one I just read. Above the item number two I just read, by the state-backed cyber attack. The fourth item is to set out a robust basis by which the parties agree on how any state-backed cyber attack will be attributed to one or more states. That's going to be a real challenge, obviously. And then five is ensure that all the key terms are clearly defined. Boy, what a novel idea, huh? to make sure that things are <laughs> the definitions are clear. Uh, <laughs> I found that interesting that they, they had to list that. But I guess what they're trying to get to and, and what sort of raised all this point was the, the whole Russia-Ukraine thing. And now we've got these, you know, the, the cyber attacks happening back and forth. And, you know, is there going to be any friendly fire? Is that going to impact any of the, the insured people? And if somebody gets stuck in, a, in one of these wars, it's all about money, I think, at the end of the day. As you said, Sharon, you're in, in the opening there, it's because they, they want to protect them from these, uh, these catastrophic losses potentially.
2: Well, John, states who sponsor cyber attacks don't necessarily claim credit for it all the time, so another <laughs> problem is that it's very difficult to tell where the attacks are coming from, isn't it?
3: Well, yeah, it, it is. As you know, Jim, they'll, they'll try to blame somebody, right? If China's ticked off at Iran or whatever it is, they might make it try to look like it's coming from there or or whoever, right? It doesn't really matter who the, the, the nation state is. But obviously, it's, it's you know, I mean, the lawyers are probably going to be happy about that because this is going to lead to litigation, <laughs> <laughs> when you get when you get down to it, where are the attack's coming from, we're going to court to find out because you're gonna there's going to be a big fight over it. But I thought an interesting quote that Lisa Fort said, who's a cybersecurity consultant and I'll quote her, says that even if you identify the group behind the attack, even if you locate them in a country, let's say Russia, and even if you can show that the Russian government knew about the group that attacked you and took no action against them, and that's not sufficient under international law to prove that the group's actions are affiliated with the state. So, you know, that statement alone is like, oh, my God, even if you knew who they were or suspect who they were, even if you had proof, like I said, you're still probably going to end up in court fighting with the insurance companies and, and all the parties to try to figure out who the heck's really at, at fault here.
1: Well, you know, I think Lloyd's uh, went out front, but I suspect a lot of people are going to hang back. Uh, There's inevitable court battles looming here, so I think they're going to wait and see whether Lloyd's gets away with this because it is kind of how it feels to law firms and others is that this is really not a fair proposition. While they're being charged out the wazoo for the cyber insurance, this is a serious, potentially decline in protection.
3: Are you saying that they're going to push somebody else forward in the line and say you make the decision
1: first? <laughs> well, I, I, I think Lloyd's took the took the initiative to do it, uh, but yeah, yeah, kind of that. I mean, yeah, I know how well versed you are, John, on cyber insurance for law firms because we lecture on that topic all the time. But why don't you just, in general, go through a little bit about what we've seen trending in the last year or two with rising costs and declining coverage? This really has been a trend that's been most worrisome to law firms. Yeah, I think the big thing is 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 bottom line is the you know the the dollars
3: and what's happening. A lot of folks have said early on that the cyber insurance market was undervalued and and now people are starting to wake up, you know, to what that really is. On average, increases in premiums thirty to forty percent is not unusual. You know, our own Sharon, as you know, our own insurance policy cyber coverage increased thirty percent, and we didn't do do anything any different. Than,
1: than <laughs> yeah, before. I could have gone nope, all day nope. without you reminding me about that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was painful. I mean, as you recall, it was very oh, painful. Oh yeah,
3: no, no, we have n- never had a claim ever. In our entire existence. I know inflation's up there too, but maybe somebody took the calculator out and says, geez, you know, 1.3 times this premium sounds good. Uh, (laughs) And and that's what we ended up with. But I think to a a large degree, and and Lloyd's was kind of, you know, jumping on the bandwagon as well with their announcement, is the insurance carriers have, at least traditionally up until now, the whole deal, and, and let's talk about ransomware as an example, they've been paying those ransoms. And they've been paying the ransoms as part of the coverage because it's cheaper to a large degree. I mean, they, they make those business decisions. It's cheaper to pay for that ransom than it is to pay to recover systems and do all this other stuff, you know, as part of the business continuity. So as a result of all those payouts, right, they need to cover that, if you will. And so the premiums have correspondingly gone up in order to try to recoup some of those costs. What we're also seeing, though, is in addition to the rise of the premiums, we're seeing coverages back off. So either the insurance carrier is going to exclude a ransom payment, as an example, or they're going to significantly limit it. So as an example, your policy might say where before there was no, no designation as to any limit or whatever your policy limit is, right, a million, two million dollars, whatever you've got, and now they're going to say, well, except when it comes to ransoms, we're only going to pay max hundred grand, you know, whatever. But so they're limiting back on the payment for ransoms, ransom payments, and or excluding them altogether. And then you tack that on top of, you know, Lloyd's announcement about, you know, these other state-backed attacks, and you're getting even less for more. Well, John,
2: cyber insurance applications are also a nightmare to fill out these days. What are cyber insurers demanding of law firms in these applications? And do you find that some lawyers don't even understand
3: some of the questions that they have to answer in the application? Oh, definitely, Jim. I mean, that's that's what we do for a living. You know, one of the things all of our, you know, the, the majority of our clients are are law firms, law firms and lawyers, and we get that all the time. Oh, geez, you know, I got my insurance policy renewal come up and this this questionnaire or this application they want me to fill out, I don't understand what, what these questions mean. That's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that when you explain what those questions mean, they don't like those answers.
1: <laughs> well, and the answers might get them denied coverage. <laughs>
3: true because they're not doing some of the things that the insurance companies are are asking for but but a lot of things now are much much more specific you know from the policies i've i've seen many of these different different companies with their applications and some are are short and sweet or relatively short and sweet and some are like horrendously long you know 15 18 20 pages long but they're asking things about your operation multi-factor authentication who do you use what do you have even to that point right who's authentication system do you use if you do have it in place do you have you know any open ports whatsoever what services are you running there and they're asking specifically about that many of the companies the cyber carriers are actually hiring companies to do scanning so they'll scan the internet and they'll scan your networks to try to find out if you do in fact have open ports you know are you running rdp are you running a terminal server those kinds of things do you have an ftp server you know active and they'll use that information to come back to you and say, well, how are you securing that? Training, they're asking about, you know, the types of training that, that you're doing. Are you training your employees on at least an annual basis? Things like that. They want copies of your policies, right? What kind of internet use policy do you have? What kind of remote access policy do you have? Email policy, et cetera. So all this, they're starting to drill down more and more into the, into the details. I have one of the applications up here in front of my screen right now. I mean, it's, it's kind of besides the training of the proper use of the email, do you have any established procedures to kill network access? Uh, what's your process for the transfer of money? you know, of electronic payments, you know, for, for business email compromises, those kinds of things. Do you require background checks for employees? Those are all part of this renewal application. So they're really starting to get into your business, if you know what I mean.
2: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. Mention legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org.
3: Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software?
1: Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is law firms stunned by cyber insurance premiums, security requirements, and exclusions. Our guest today is John Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, which provides managed IT, managed cybersecurity, and digital forensic services nationwide. He is a certified system security professional, a certified ethical hacker, and a nationally known testifying expert in the area of digital forensics. He is also my husband. That's probably your favorite position, right, John? <laughs> get, there, get the answer right, son. You're going home with me shortly. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but the, pay, the, pay, the pay stinks, though. <laughs> the pay does stink. So, John, can you describe to us some of what in cyber insurance companies are now requiring that you don't necessarily agree with? Because I've seen you pitch more than one hissy fit about the people who wrote the application didn't know what the hell they were doing.
3: Yeah, I, I think the affectionate term I call them are desk jockeys. The one thing that really gets me is the w- the way they ask the the questions and they let back up a little bit. and when you're if, if you're familiar with doing your PCI, your credit card, you know assessment questionnaires, et cetera, they have this thing that's called compensating factors. So you can answer a certain way, but then they give you an opportunity to say what you know why you're doing it that way. So we have a compensating control in order to take care of that. I have yet to see a cyber insurance application or renewal that gives you any of that kind of opportunity. It's yes, no kind of thing. Or yes, no, tell me the manufacturer, tell me the software, you know, that kind of stuff. One of the areas that really gets under my skin is is the blanket, I guess, consideration that they have for remote desktop protocol, RDP. If you have RDP running, the remote desktop protocol, which is a, a remote access method. And it doesn't matter how you've secured it, whether you've secured it, etc. Just the fact that you have it running could be grounds for you to not have any coverage and they'll throw it out the window. So it's it's very, very black and white to the insurance carrier. They don't ask you, well, if you are running RDP, are you running it securely? Is it patched? Is it, you know, what else do you have in place? Uh, You know, are you using multi-factor authenticate? What kind of other restrictions do you have potentially in place in order to, because you can, in fact, securely use an RDP connection, but the insurance companies apparently don't know that that's possible.
2: How should law firms go about getting a security assessment at a reasonable price? This is often demanded by cyber insurance companies, but increasingly also by clients.
3: That's true, Jim. The the clients are demanding at least from the law firms, you know, tell me how you you're protecting my data, et cetera. Obviously, number one is gonna be, you know, talk to your colleagues and, and who they've used. Look for smaller firms, smaller companies, and definitely flat fees. You can get these security assessments done. For a flat fee on a per device basis, per user basis, or whatever it is, and very reasonable. But if you go to the to the big companies that are out there, the the multi-million billion dollar companies, then you're gonna pay a high price for that. I would suggest maybe taking a look more at more at the smaller, more niche type cybersecurity firms. And there are many of them out there that do a very, very credible job and with for very reasonable price.
1: A question that we've been asked a lot, John, is are you compelled to use a cybersecurity company affiliated with a cyber insurer? And we're seeing that more and more. And if you do that, is your data secure? One thing we both know is that cyber criminals target cyber insurance companies specifically for the security data they hold of those they insure. That's been, you know, a target for a long time now.
3: The the cyber insurance companies are partnering with with uh, the cybersecurity companies that are out there to, and they negotiate lower rates for them. Are you compelled to use them? Well, sometimes you are, you know, especially if you have a security incident. But there's nothing to preclude you from using your own, you know, and, and getting a, a second opinion, if we will. Because my, one of my concerns is that if the company is affiliated with the with the insurer, then they have a vested interest you know, and what the outcome is going to be or what the determination of, of the breach investigation or any of those kinds of things are. But I'm also very concerned, you know, and Jim, this gets to what your earlier question about the applications. I'm also concerned about the cyber insurance companies and themselves, the amount of data that they have. If you looked at some of these cyber applications, because the detail that they're asking for, Right as, as an example, whose who's multi-factor authentication are you using? Are you using you know Duo, Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator? Well, you've already now given a cyber cri- and, and a cyber criminal. Let's say gets into that network, they now know all of this stuff about you. You know what kind of firewall are you running. Well, they know the manufacturer now. Uh, they may even know the model number. So you're giving them all this advanced information. You know, and you're entrusting that right to the, to the insurer because they have fast forward on the application. But yet, you know, God forbid if, uh, you know, cyber criminal got into that insurance network, they've got, you know, pure gold because they've got all this information about you and how they, what weaknesses or what they should or shouldn't attack.
2: John, I've read that increasingly law firms, especially these small and mid-sized firms, are abandoning cyber insurance because of the costs. And I've talked to a lot of solos setting up their practice the first two or three years who literally cannot afford it. But what are the risks and dangers in doing that?
3: You're right, Jim. It's, it's the the price is driving a lot of them, uh, you know, from that decision, you know, not to carry that coverage, but I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's very risky. You know, it just takes just one incident and, you know, unless you're independently wealthy, which I know a lot of folks are not, you're not going to be able to cover that loss. And that's what insurance is for is to cover that. Certainly you need to know what, what you're paying for and what you're getting for what you're paying for. But yeah, it could be a, a really a, a really big financial
1: burden to you. You know, it was amazing, you know, timeliness of these stories as they come out, but I read one this morning about this new survey that's been done by a reputable group and they surveyed firms, not law firms necessarily, but businesses in both Canada and the United States. And as of the release of this report, which was apparently just happened last week, 55% of organizations do not have cyber insurance. And that's amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's scary actually.
2: And on that amazing note, let's take a quick commercial break.
3: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's fi.cc and get $500 off with code HAPPY24.
1: Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is law firms stunned by cyber insurance premium security requirements and exclusions. Our guest today is John Simic, the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, which provides managed IT, managed cybersecurity, and digital forensic services nationwide. So, John, what is the best way for a law firm to find a good and reasonably priced cyber insurance company? Because that's what we're always telling folks, that they're looking at these big firms and they really are not looking at the smaller insurers. And we learned an important lesson, which I know you're going to tell us about in your answer.
3: The key is to find a good broker, because just like, you know, as, as all the, the lawyers and know, that you're an advocate for your client. Well, that's what your insurance broker is. They're an advocate for you. But get somebody that is well-versed and understands the cyber market And who the various uh, players that are out there, the various coverages that are there, what the cost, et cetera, all that stuff is. As you point out, Sharon, I mean, we learned that. You know, our our previous broker, because we did, in fact, change brokers, nice nice group of folks, but just really didn't know the cyber market. And when we started to see our premiums go up by 30%, et cetera, and by these ridiculous demands that the insurers were asking for, they weren't going to bat for us. But if you do have a good broker, they will know your business, they'll know what coverages are appropriate for you, and they'll know what carriers are out there. When we switch brokers, we get several quotes, et cetera, from some different carriers. A couple of carriers, Sharon, as you recall, we'd never heard of before. (laughs) But as you do some research into it, you find out, oh yeah, these guys are pretty good. They've been around a while. It, it didn't raise any red flags, if you will. But the broker knew that these were good folks to to go for, and that they were reasonable. So I think that's that's really a key is to is to get a good broker that understands this particular market area, and and they'll help you. I mean, as you know, I mean, we got better coverage for less money, which is certainly directionally.
1: (laughs) You ought to say that again, better coverage for less money. I mean, we were shocked at how much better the coverage was and that we paid less for it. So it really is all about the broker. That's one of our primary lessons today.
3: Yeah, well, I think, you know, Lloyd said it right when they said the key terms are clearly defined, right? I mean, who we ended up with. Everything is very clear and very spelled out, well spelled out, and and the premiums were less. So that's where you want to be, right?
2: Unfortunately, there's no real easy answers on any of these issues, John, but do you have any final thoughts or
3: recommendations to close this podcast? At the end of the day, Jim, it's the cyber insurance market is going to continue to, to go. It's going to continue to get expensive, but I would suggest that it's smart for the law firms to to heed kind of some of the things that the, the cyber insurers are asking about, you know, the multi-factor authentication items, you know, that, that they're now putting in their, their applications. You should be doing that anyway. So you should be doing things that are improving your security posture and budgeting for, for things. You don't have to do it today. You know, maybe you budget for it for next year, two years down the road or whatever it is on some of these, some of these things, but certainly it's not going to get any, any easier, and we're going to have to make sure that we're doing things smartly because the more secure that you make your environment and that you can prove your, your environment secure, this is ammunition for your broker, right? So your broker then can go to the carrier and get those lower rates for you because they say, well, you know, my client here has these different things in place already. And and they're going to zero trust as an example. And they're doing this and they're, you know, whatever. That's a whole other podcast on zero trust, but the, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but things like that, I mean, it's, you should be doing that and, and not everything costs money, right? There's things that are, that are free and, or very low cost that will certainly improve your, your security position.
1: Like MFA.
3: Like MFA, but you don't have to wait for the, you know, the insurance carrier to demand it. I mean, you should be doing these things anyway.
1: Well, I really want to thank you for joining us today. I think a lot of people listening have learned quite a bit about cyber insurance. And it's amazing how something we knew so little about, say, 10 years ago, we've both become experts on today. And you in particular love to read through these lengthy documents, which I do not enjoy. So I appreciate that you do that too. But thanks for sharing all that knowledge, because I know this was a a useful teaching session for folks.
3: It's been a pleasure, and it's always great to be uh, with Jim, but <laughs> you as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad I got an also-ran. <laughs> and that, that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for
2: joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon.
0: Happy trails, cowboy.